so they fled away in haste to the westward. But Aetes manned his fleet and followed them. And Lynceus the quick-eyed saw him coming, while he was still many a mile away, and cried, I see a hundred ships, like a flock of white swans, far in the east. And at that they rode hard like heroes, but the ships came nearer every hour. Then Medea, the dark witch-maiden, laid a cruel and cunning plot, for she killed her brother, and cast him into the sea, and said, Before my father can take up his corpse and bury it, he must wait long and be left far behind. And all the heroes shuddered and looked at one another for shame, yet they did not punish that dark witch woman, because she had won for them the golden fleece. And when Aetes came to the place, he saw the floating corpse, and he stopped a long while, and bewailed his son, and took him up, and went home. But he sent his sailors toward the westward, and bound them by a mighty curse. Bring back to me that dark witch woman, that she may die a dreadful death. But if you return without her, you shall die by the same death yourselves. So the Argonauts escaped for a time, but Father Zeus saw that foul crime, and out of the heavens he sent a storm, and swept the ship far from her course. Day after day the storm drove her, amid foam and blinding mist, until they knew no longer where they were, for the sun was blotted from the skies. And at last the ship struck on a shoal, amid low isles of mud and sand, and the waves rolled over her and through her, and the heroes lost all hope of life. Then Jason called to Hera, Fair queen, who hast befriended us until now, why hast thou left us in our misery to die here among the unknown seas? It is hard to lose the honor which we have won with such toil and danger, and hard never to see Hellas again, and the pleasant bay of Pegasi. Then out and spoke the magic bough which stood upon Argo's beak. Because Father Zeus is angry, all this has fallen on you, for a cruel crime has been done on board, and the sacred ship is foul with blood. At that some of the heroes cried, Medea is the murderess. Let that witch woman bear her sin and die. And they seized Medea and hurled her into the sea to atone for the young boy's death. But the magic bow spoke again. Let her live until her crimes are full. Vengeance waits for her, slow and sure. But she must live for now, for you still need her. She must show you the way to her sister Circe, who lives among the islands of the west. To her you must sail, a weary way, and she shall cleanse you from your guilt. Then all the heroes wept aloud when they heard the sentence of the oak, for they knew that a dark journey lay before them and years of bitter toil. And some upbraided the dark witch woman, and some said, Nay, we are her debtors still. Without her, we should have never won that fleece. But most of them bit their lips in silence, for they feared the witch's spells. And presently the sea grew calmer, and the sun shone out once more, and the heroes thrust the ship off the sandbank and rowed forward on their weary course, under the guidance of the dark witch maiden, into the wastes of the unknown sea. Whither they went I cannot tell, nor how they came to Circe's isle, some say that they went to the westward, and up the Ister stream, and so came to the Adriatic, 
dragging their ship over the snowy Alps. And others say that they went to the southward, into the Red Indian Sea, and past the sunny lands where spices grow round Ethiopia toward the west, and that at last they came to Libya and dragged their ship across the burning sands and over the hills into the Syrtes, where the flats and quicksands spread for many a mile between rich Kyrene and the Lotus Eater's shore. But all these are but dreams and fables and dim hints of unknown lands. But all say that they came to a place where they had to drag their ship across the land nine days with ropes and rollers till they came into an unknown sea. And the best of all the old songs tell us how they went away toward the north until they came to the slope of Caucasus where it sinks into the sea and to the narrow Chimerian Bosphorus where the Titans swam across upon the bull and thence into the lazy waters of the still Maotid Lake. And thence they went northward ever, up the Tanais, which we call Don, past the Galoni and the Sauromati, and many a wandering shepherd tribe, and the one-eyed Aramaspi, of whom old Greek poets tell, who steal the gold from the griffins in the cold Riphaean hills. And they pass the Scythian archers, and the Tauri who eat men, and the wandering Hyperborea, who feed their flocks beneath the pole star, until they came into the northern ocean, the dull, dead Cronian Sea, and there the Argo would move no longer, and each man clasped his elbow and leaned his head upon his hand, heartbroken with toil and hunger, and gave himself up to death. But brave Ancheos the helmsman cheered up their hearts once more, and bade them leap on land and haul the ship with ropes and rollers for many a weary day, whether over land or mud or ice, I know not, for the song is mixed and broken like a dream. But it says next how they came to the rich nation of the famous long-lived men and to the coast of the Chimerians, who never saw the sun, buried deep in the glens of the snow mountains, and to the fair land of Hermione, where dwelt the most righteous of all nations, and to the gates of the world below, and to the dwelling place of dreams. And at last Ancheo shouted, Endure a little while longer, brave friends. The worst is surely past, for I can see the pure west wind ruffle the water and hear the roar of ocean on the sands. So raise up the mast and let us set sail and face what comes like men. Then spoke the magic bow, Ah, would that I had perished long ago, and been overwhelmed by the dread blue rocks beneath the fierce swell of the Euxine. Better so than to wander forever, disgraced by the guilt of my princes. For the blood of Absyrtus still stains me, and woe follows hard upon woe. And now some dark horror will clutch me if I come near the Isle of Lern. Unless you will cling to the land, and sail southward and southward forever, I shall wander beyond the Atlantic to the ocean which has no shore. Then they blessed the magic bow and sailed southward along the land. But before they could pass Lern, the land of mists and storms, the wild wind came down, dark and roaring, and caught the sail and strained the ropes. And away they drove twelve nights on the wide, wild western sea through the foam and over the rollers, 
while they saw neither sun nor stars. And they cried again, We shall perish, for we know not where we are. We are lost in the dreary, damp darkness and cannot tell north from south. But again the long-sighted called gaily from the bows, Take heart again, brave sailors, for I see a pine-clad island and the halls of the kind earth mother with a crown of clouds around them. But Orpheus said, Turn from them, for no living man can land there. There is no harbor on the coast, but steep-walled cliffs all around. So Ancheos turned the ship away, and for three days more they sailed on, until they came to Aiea, Circe's home, and the fairy island of the west. And there Jason bid them land and seek for any sign of living man. And as they went inland, Circe met them, coming down toward the ship, and they trembled when they saw her for her hair and face and robes shone like flame. And she came and looked at Medea, and Medea hid her face beneath her veil. And Circe cried, Wretched girl, have you forgotten all your sins that you come hither to my island where the flowers bloom all year round? Where is your aged father and the brother whom you killed? Little do I expect you to return in safety with these strangers whom you love. I will send you food and wine, but your ship must not stay here, for it is foul with sin, and foul with sin is its crew. And the heroes prayed her but in vain, and cried, Cleanse us from our guilt. But she sent them away, and said, Go on to Malia, and there you may be cleansed and return home. Then a fair wind rose, and they sailed eastward by Tartessus and the Iberian shore, till they came to the Pillars of Hercules and the Mediterranean Sea. And thence they sailed on through the deeps of Sardinia and past the Ausonian Islands, till they came to a flowery island upon a still bright summer's eve. And as they neared it, slowly and wearily, they heard sweet songs upon the shore. But when Medea heard it, it frightened her, and she cried, Beware, all heroes, for these are the rocks of the Sirens. You must pass close by them, for there is no other channel. But those who listen to that song are lost. Then Orpheus spoke, the king of all minstrels. Let them match their song against mine. I have charmed stones and trees and dragons. How much more then the hearts of men? So he caught up his lyre and stood upon the bow and began his magic song. And now they could see the sirens on Athamosa, the flowery isle, three fair maidens sitting on the beach beneath a red rock in the setting sun among beds of crimson poppies and golden asphodel. Slowly they sung, and sleepily, with silver voices mild and clear, which stole over the golden waters and into the hearts of all the heroes in spite of Orpheus's song. And all things stayed around and listened. The gulls sat in white lines along the rocks. On the beach great seals lay basking and kept time with their lazy heads, while silver shoals of fish came up to hearken and whisper as they broke the shining calm. The wind overhead hushed his whistling, and he shepherded his clouds toward the west, and the clouds stood still in mid-blue, and listened, dreaming, like a flock of golden sheep. And as the heroes listened, the oars fell from their hands, and their heads drooped on their breasts, 
and they closed their heavy eyes, and they dreamed of bright still gardens and of slumbers under murmuring pines, till all their toil seemed foolishness, and they thought of their renown no more. Then one lifted his head suddenly and cried, What use is wandering forever? Let us stay here and rest a while. And another, Let us row ashore and hear the words they sing. And still another, I care not for the words but the music. They shall sing me to sleep that I may rest. And Beauty's son of Pandion, the fairest of all mortal men, leapt out and swam toward the shore, crying, I come, fair maidens, to live and die here, listening to your beautiful song. Then Medea clapped her hands together and cried, Sing louder, Orpheus, sing a bolder strain. Wake up these hapless sluggards, for none of them will see the land of Hellas more. Then Orpheus lifted his harp and crashed his cunning hand across the strings, and his music and his voice rose like a trumpet through the still evening air. Into the air it rushed like thunder, till the rocks rang and the sea, and into their souls it rushed like wine, till all hearts beat fast within their breasts. And he sung the song of Perseus, how the gods led him over land and sea, and how he slew the loathly Gorgon and won himself a peerless bride, and how he sits now with the gods upon Olympus, a shining star in the sky, immortal with his immortal bride, and honored by all men below. So Orpheus sang, and the sirens, answering each other across the golden sea till Orpheus's voice drowned the sirens, and the heroes caught their oars once more. And they cried, We will be men like Perseus, and we will dare and suffer to the last. Sing us his song again, brave Orpheus, that we may forget the sirens and their spell. And as Orpheus sang, they dashed their oars into the sea and kept time to his music as they fled fast away, and the sirens' voices died behind them in the hissing of the foam along their wake. But beauties swam to the shore and knelt down before the sirens and cried, Sing on, sing on! But he could say no more, for a charmed sleep came over him and a pleasant humming to his ears, and he sank all along upon the pebbles and forgot all heaven and earth, and never looked at that sad beach around him, all strewn with the bones of men. Then slowly rose up those three fair sisters, with a cruel smile upon their lips, and slowly they crept down towards him, like leopards who creep upon their prey, and their hands were like the talons of eagles, and they stepped across the bones of their victims to enjoy their cruel feast. But fairest Aphrodite saw him from the highest Idalian peak, and she pitied his youth and his beauty, and leapt up from her golden throne, and like a falling star she cleft the sky, and left a trail of glittering light, till she stooped to the Isle of the Sirens, and snatched their prey from their claws. And she lifted beauties as he lay sleeping, and wrapped him in a golden mist, and she bore him to the peak of Lilibaeum, and he slept there many a pleasant year. But when the sirens saw that they were conquered, they shrieked for envy and rage, and leapt from the beach into the sea, where they changed into the rocks we see today. Then they came to the Straits of Lilibaeum, and saw Sicily, the three-cornered island, 
under which Angelithus the giant lies groaning day and night, and when he turns the earth quakes, and his breath bursts out in roaring flames from the highest cones of Etna, above the chestnut woods. And there Charybdis caught them in its fearful coils of wave, and rolled mast high about them, and spun them round and round, and they could go neither back nor forward, while the whirlpools sucked them in. And while they struggled, they saw near them, on the other side of the strait, a rock stand in the water, with its peaks wrapped round in clouds, a rock which no man could climb, had he even twenty hands and feet, for the stone was smooth and slippery, as if polished by man's hand, and halfway up a misty cave looked out toward the west. And when Orpheus saw it, he groaned and struck his hands together. Little will it help us, he cried, to escape the jaws of the whirlpool, for in that cave lives Scylla, the sea hag with a young whelp's voice. My mother warned me of her before we sailed away from Hellas. She has six heads and six long necks and hides in that dark cleft and from her cave she fishes for all things which pass by, for sharks and seals and dolphins, and all the herds of the Amphitrite. And never ship's crew boasted that they came safe by her rock, for she bends her long necks down to them, and every mouth takes up a man. And who will help us now? For Hera and Zeus hate us, and our ship is foul with guilt, so we must die whatever befalls. Then out of the depths came Thetis, Peleus's silver-footed bride, for love of her gallant husband, and all her nymphs around her. And they played like snow-white dolphins, diving on from wave to wave before the ship and in her wake and beside her as dolphins play. And they caught the ship and guided her and passed her on from hand to hand and tossed her through the billows as maidens toss a ball. And when Scylla stooped to seize her, they struck back her ravening heads, and foul Scylla whined as a whelp whines at the touch of their gentle hands. But she shrank into her cave affrighted, for all bad things shrink from good. And Argo leapt safe past her, while a fair breeze rose behind. And Thetis and her nymphs sank down to their coral caves beneath the sea, and their gardens of green and purple, where live flowers blossom all the year round, while the heroes went on rejoicing, yet dreading what might come next. After that they rode on steadily for many a weary day, till they saw a long, high island, and beyond it a mountain land, and they searched until they found a harbor, and there rode boldly in, but after a while they stopped and wondered, for there stood a great city on the shore, and temples and walls and gardens and castles high in air upon the cliffs, and on either side they saw a harbor with a narrow mouth but wide within, and black ships without number, high and dry upon the shore. Then Ancheos the wise helmsman spoke, What new wonder is this? I know all isles and harbors and the windings of all seas, and this should be Cordyra, where a few wild goat herds dwell. But whence came these new harbors and vast works of polished stone? But Jason said, 
They can be no savage people, so we will go in and take our chance. So they rowed into the harbor, among a thousand black-beaked ships, each larger far than Argo, toward a quay of polished stone, and they wondered at that mighty city, with its roofs of burnished brass and long and lofty walls of marble with strong palisades above. And the quays were full of people, merchants and mariners and slaves, going to and fro with merchandise among the crowd of ships. And the heroes' hearts were humbled, and they looked at each other and said, We thought ourselves a gallant crew when we sailed from Iolcus by the sea, but how small we look before this city, like an ant before a hive of bees. Then the sailors hailed them roughly from the quay. What men are you? We want no strangers here, nor pirates. We keep our business to ourselves. But Jason answered gently, with many a flattering word, and praised their city and their harbor, and their fleet of gallant ships. Surely you are the children of Poseidon, and the masters of the sea, and we are but poor wandering mariners, worn out with thirst and toil. Give us but food and water, and we will go on our voyage in peace. Then the sailors laughed and answered, Stranger, you are no fool. You talk like an honest man, and you shall find us honest too. We are the children of Poseidon, and the masters of the sea. But come ashore to us, and you shall have the best that we can give. So they limped ashore, all stiff and weary, with long ragged beards and sunburnt cheeks, and garments torn and weather-stained, and weapons rusted with the spray, while the sailors laughed at them, for they were rough-tongued, though their hearts were frank and kind. And one said, These fellows are but raw sailors. They look as if they had been seasick all the day. And another, Their legs have grown crooked with much rowing, till they waddle in their walk like ducks. At that, Idas the rash would have struck them, but Jason held him back till one of the merchant kings spoke to them, a tall and stately man. Do not be angry, strangers. The sailor boys must have their jest, but we will treat you justly and kindly, for strangers and poor men come from God, and you seem no common sailors by your strength and height and weapons. Come up with me to the palace of Alcinous, the rich sea-going king, and we will feast you well and heartily, and after that you shall tell us your names. But Medea hung back and trembled and whispered into Jason's ear, We are betrayed and are going to our ruin, for I see my countrymen among the crowd, dark-eyed Kolkai in steel-mail shirts, such as they wear in my father's land. It is too late to turn, answered Jason, and he spoke to the merchant king. What country is this, good sir, and what is this new-built town? This is the land of the Phaeaces, beloved by all the immortals, for they come hither and feast like friends with us, and sit by our side in our hall. Hither we came from Liburnia, to escape the unrighteous Cyclopes, for they robbed us, peaceful merchants, of our hard-earned wares and gold. So Nausithus, the son of Poseidon, brought us hither and died in peace. And now his son Alcinius rules us, and Arete the wisest of queens. So they went up across the square, and wondered still more as they did, 
for along the quays lay in order great cables and yards and masts before the fair temple of Poseidon, the blue-haired king of the sea. And round the square worked the shipwrights, as many in number as ants, twining ropes and hewing timber and smoothing long yards and oars. And the Manet went on in silence through clean white marble streets till they came to the hall of Alcinius, and they wondered then still more, for the lofty palace shone aloft in the sun with walls of plated brass from the threshold to the innermost chamber, and the doors were of silver and gold. And on each side of the doorway sat living dogs of gold who never grew old or died, so well Hephaestus had made them in his forges in smoking Lemnos, and gave them to Alcinius to guard his gates by night. And within, against the walls, stood thrones on either side, down the whole length of the hall, strewn with rich, glossy shawls. And on them the merchant kings of those crafty sea-roving peoples sat eating and drinking in pride, and feasting there all the year round. And boys of molten gold stood each on polished altar, and held torches in their hands to give light all night to the guests. And round the house sat fifty maid servants, some grinding the meal in the mill, some turning the spindle, some weaving at the loom, while their hands twinkled as they passed the shuttle like quivering aspen leaves. And outside before the palace a great garden was walled round, filled full with stately fruit trees, with olives and sweet figs and pomegranates, pears and apples, which bore the whole year round, for the rich southwest wind fed them, till pear grew ripe on pear, fig on fig, and grape on grape, all the winter and the spring. And at the further end gay flower beds bloomed through all seasons of the year, and two fair fountains rose and ran, one through the garden grounds and one beneath the palace gate, to water all the town. Such noble gifts the heavens had given to Alcinius the wise. So they went in, and saw him sitting like Poseidon on his throne, with his golden scepter by him, his garments stiff with gold, and in his hand a sculptured goblet, as he pledged the merchant kings. And beside him stood Ariti, his wise and lovely queen, and leaned against a pillar as she spun her golden threads. Then Alcinius rose and welcomed them, and bade them sit and eat, and the servants brought them tables and bread and meat and wine. But Medea went on trembling toward Arete, the fair queen, and fell at her knees and clasped them and cried weeping as she knelt, I am your guest, fair queen, and I entreat you by Zeus from whom prayers come. Do not send me back to my father to die some dreadful death, but let me go my way and bear my burden. Have I not had enough of punishment and shame? Who are you, strange maiden, and what is the meaning of your prayer? I am Medea, daughter of Aetes, and I saw my countrymen here today, and I know that they are come to find me and take me home to die some dreadful death. Then Arete frowned and said, Lead this girl in, my maidens, and let the kings decide, not I. Then Alcinius leapt up from his throne and cried, Speak, strangers, who are you, and who is this maiden? 
We are the heroes of the Manet, said Jason, and this maiden has spoken truth. We are the men who took the golden fleece, the men whose fame has run round every shore. We came hither out of the ocean after sorrows such as man has never seen before, and went out many, and came back few. For many a noble comrade have we lost. So let us go, as you should let your guests go, in peace, that the world may say, Alcinius is a just king. But Alcinius frowned and stood deep in thought, and at last he spoke. Had not the deed been done which is done, I should have said this day to myself, It is an honor to Alcinius and to his children after him that the far-famed Argonauts are his guests, but these Kolkai are my guests as well, and for the past month they have waited here with all their fleet, for they have hunted all the seas of Hellas and could not find you, and dared neither go further nor go home. Let them choose out their champions, and we will fight them man for man. No guest of ours shall fight upon our island, and if you go outside they will outnumber you. I will do justice between you, for I know what is right. Then he turned to his kings and said, This may stand over until tomorrow. Tonight we will feast our guests and hear the story of their wanderings and how they came hither out of the ocean. So Alcinius bade the servers take the heroes in and bathe them and give them clothes, and they were glad when they saw the warm water, for it was long since they had bathed. And they washed off the sea salt from their limbs and anointed themselves from head to foot with oil and combed out their golden hair, then came back again into the hall while the merchant kings rose up to do them honor. And each man said to his neighbor, No wonder that these men won fame, how they stand like giants or titans or immortals come down from Olympus. Though many a winter has worn them and many a fearful storm, what must they have been when they sailed from Iolcus in the bloom of their youth long ago? They then went out to the garden, and the merchant princes said, Heroes, run races with us. Let us see whose feet are the nimblest. We cannot race against you, for our limbs are stiff from sea, and we have lost our two swift comrades, the sons of the north wind. But do not think us cowards if you wish to try our strength. We will shoot and box and wrestle against any man on earth. And Alcinius smiled and answered, I believe you, gallant guests, with your long limbs and broad shoulders, we could never match you here, for we care nothing for the boxing or for the shooting with the bow, but for feasts and songs and harping and dancing and running races to stretch our limbs on shore. So they danced there and ran races, the jolly merchant kings, till the night fell and all went in, and then they ate and drank and comforted their weary souls until Alcinius called a herald and bade him go forth and fetch the harper. The herald went out and fetched the harper and led him in by the hand, and Alcinius cut him a piece of meat from the fattest of the haunch and set it to him and said, Sing to us, noble harper, and rejoice the heroes' hearts. So the harper played and sang while the dancers danced strange figures, and after that the tumblers showed their tricks till the heroes laughed once more. Finally Alcinius spoke, Tell me, heroes, you who have sailed the oceans round and seen the manners of all nations, 
Have you seen such dancers as ours here, or heard such music and such singing? We hold ours to be the best on earth. Such dancing we have never seen, said Orpheus, and your singer is a happy man, for the sun god himself must have taught him well, or else he is the son of a muse, as I am also, and have sung once or twice, though not so well as he. Sing to us, then, noble stranger, responded Alcinius, and we will give you precious gifts. So Orpheus took his magic harp and sang to them a stirring song of their voyage from Iolcus and their dangers, and how they won the golden fleece, and of Medea's love and how she helped them, and went on with them over land and sea, and of all their fearful dangers, from monsters and rocks and storms, till the heart of Arete was softened, and all the women wept. And the merchant kings rose up, each man from off his golden throne, and clapped their hands and shouted, Hail to the noble Argonauts who sailed the unknown sea. Then he went on and told their journey over the sluggish northern main and through the shoreless outer ocean to the fairy island of the west and of the Sirens and Scylla and Charybdis and all the wonders they had seen till midnight passed and the day dawned. But the kings never thought of sleep. Each man sat still and listened with his chin upon his hand. And at last, when Orpheus had ended, they all went thoughtful out, and the heroes lay down to sleep, beneath the sounding porch outside, where Ariti had strewn them rugs and carpets in the still sweet summer night. But Ariti pleaded hard with her husband for Medea, for her heart was softened, and she said, The gods will punish her, not we. After all, she is our guest and my suppliant, and prayers are the daughters of Zeus, and who, too, dare part man and wife after all they have endured together. And Alcinius smiled. The minstrel's song has charmed you, but I must remember what is right, for songs cannot alter justice, and I must be faithful to my name. Alcinius I am called, the man of sturdy sense, and Alcinius I shall be. But for all that, Arete besought him until she won him round. The next morning he sent a herald and called the kings into the square and said, This is a puzzling matter. Remember but one thing. These Menae live close by us, and we may meet them often on the seas, but Aetes lives afar off, and we have only heard of his name. Which then of the two is it safer to offend, the men near us or the men far off? The princes laughed and praised his wisdom. And Alcinius called the heroes to his square, and the Colchi also, and they came and stood opposite to each other, while Medea stayed in the palace. Then Alcinius spoke, Heroes of the Colchi, what is your errand about this lady? To carry her home with us, that she may die a shameful death, but if we return without her, we must die the death that she should have died. What say you to this, Jason of the Aeolid? asked Alcinius, turning to the Manet. I say, said the cunning Jason, that they are come here on a bootless errand. Do you think that you can make her follow you, heroes of the Kolkai, her who knows all the spells and charms? She will cast away your ship on quicksands, or call down on you Brimo, the wild huntress, or the chains will fall from off your or the chains will fall from off her wrists, 
and she will escape in her dragon car, or if not thus, some other way, for she has a thousand plans and wiles. And why return home at all, brave heroes, and face the long seas again, and the Bosphorus, and the stormy Euxine, and double all your toil? There is many a fair land round these coasts which wait for gallant men like you. Better to settle here, and build a city, and let Aetes and Colchis help themselves. Then a murmur rose among the Colchi, and some cried, He has spoken well, and some, We have had enough of roving, we will sail the seas no more. And the chief said at last, Be it so then, a plague she has been upon us, and a plague to the house of her father, and a plague she will be to you. Take her, since you are no wiser, and we will sail away toward the north. So Alcinius gave them food, and water, and garments, and rich presents of all sorts, and he gave the same to the Manae, and sent them all away in peace. So Jason kept the dark witch maiden to breed him woe and shame, and the Colchi went northward into the Adriatic, and settled, and built towns along the shore. Then the heroes rode away to the eastward, to reach Hellas, their beloved land, but a storm came down upon them and swept them far away toward the south, and they rode till they were spent with struggling through the darkness and the blinding rain. But where they were they could not tell, and they gave up on all hope of life, and at last touched the ground, and when daylight came they wandered ashore and saw nothing round but sand and desolate salt pools, for they had come to the quicksands of the Syrtis, and the dreary treeless flats which lie between Numidia and Cyrene, on the burning shore of Africa. And there they wandered starving for many a weary day, before they could launch their ship again and gain the open sea. And there Canthus was killed while he was trying to drive off sheep by a stone which a herdsman threw. And there too Mopsus died, the seer who knew the voices of all birds, but he could not foretell his own end, for he was bitten in the foot by a snake, one of those who sprang from the gorgon's head when Perseus carried it across the sands. At last they rode away toward the northward, for many a weary day, till their water was spent and their food eaten, and they were worn out with hunger and thirst. But at last they saw a long, steep island, with a blue peak high among the clouds, and they knew it for the peak of Ida and the famous land of Crete. And they said, We will land in Crete and see Minos, the just king, and all his glory and his wealth. At least he will treat us hospitably and let us fill our water casks upon the shore. But when they came nearer to the island, they saw a wondrous sight upon the cliffs, for on a cape to the westward stood a giant, taller than any mountain pine, who glittered aloft against the sky like a tower of burnished brass. He turned and looked on all sides around him till he saw the Argo and her crew, and when he saw them he came toward them, more swiftly than the swiftest horse, leaping across the glens in a bound and striding at one step from down to down. And when he came abreast of them, he brandished his arms up and down as a ship hoists and lowers her yards, and shouted with his brazen throat like a trumpet from off the hills, You are pirates! You are robbers! If you dare to land here, you die! 
Then the heroes cried, We are no pirates, we are all good men and true, and all we ask is food and water. But the giant cried still more, You are robbers, you are pirates all, I know you, and if you land, you shall die the death. Then he waved his arms again as a signal, and they saw the people flying inland, driving their flocks before them, while a great flame arose among the hills. Then the giant ran up a valley and vanished, and the heroes lay upon their oars in fear. But Medea stood watching all from under her steep black brows, with a cunning smile upon her lips and a cunning plot within her heart. At last she spoke, I know this giant. I heard of him in the east. Hephaestus, the fire king, made him in his forge in Etna beneath the earth, and called him Talus, and gave him to Minos for a servant to guard the coasts of Crete. Thrice a day he walks around the island and never stops to sleep, and if strangers land, he leaps into his furnace, which flames there among the hills, and when he is red hot, he rushes on them and burns them with his brazen hands. And the heroes all cried, What shall we do, wise Medea? We must have water or we die of thirst. Flesh and blood we can face fairly, but who can face this red-hot brass? I can face the red-hot brass, if the tale I hear be true. For they say that he has but one vein in all his body, filled with liquid fire, and that this vein is closed with a nail. But I know not where that nail is placed. But if I can get it once into these hands, you shall water your ship here in peace. Then she bade them put her ashore and row off again and wait what would befall. And the heroes obeyed her unwillingly, for they were ashamed to leave her so alone. But Jason said, She is dearer to me than to any of you, yet I will trust her freely on shore. She has more plots than we can dream of in the windings of that fair and cunning head. So they left the witch maiden on the shore, and she stood there in her beauty all alone, till the giant strode back, red-hot from head to heel, while the grass hissed and smoked beneath his tread. And when he saw the maiden alone, he stopped, and she looked boldly up into his face without moving and began her magic song. Life is short, though life is sweet, and even men of brass and fire must die. The brass must rust, the fire must cool, for time gnaws all things in their turn. Life is short, though life is sweet, but sweeter to live forever, sweeter to live ever youthful like the gods who have ichor in their veins, ichor which gives life and youth and joy and a bounding heart. Then Talus said, Who are you, strange maiden, and where is this ichor of youth? Then Medea held up a flask of crystal and said, Here is the ichor of youth. I am Medea, the enchantress. My sister Circe gave me this and said, Go and reward Talus, the faithful servant, for his fame is gone out into all the lands. So come to me and I will pour this into your veins, that you may live forever young. And he listened to her false words, that simple Talus, and came near. And Medea said, Dip yourself into the sea first and cool yourself, lest you burn my tender hands. Then show me where the nail in your vein is, that I may pour the ichor in. Then that simple talus dipped himself into the sea until it hissed and roared and smoked, 
and came and knelt before Medea and showed her the secret nail. And so she drew the nail out gently, but she poured no ichor in, and instead the liquid fire spouted forth like a stream of red-hot iron, and Talus tried to leap up, crying, You have betrayed me, false witch maiden! But she lifted up her hands before him and sang till he sank beneath her spell, and as he sank, his brazen limbs clanked heavily, and the earth groaned beneath his weight, and the liquid fire ran from his heel like a stream of lava to the sea. And Medea laughed and called to the heroes, Come ashore and water your ships in peace. So they came and found the giant lying dead, and they fell down and kissed Medea's feet, and watered their ship and took sheep and oxen, and so left that inhospitable shore. At last, after many more adventures, they came to the Cape of Malia, at the southwest point of the Peloponnese. And there they offered sacrifices, and Orpheus purged them from their guilt, and they rode away once more to the northward, past the Laconian shore, and came all worn and tired by Sunium, and up the long Euboan Strait, until they saw once more Pelion, and Aphite, and Iolcus by the sea. And they ran the ship ashore, but they had no strength left to haul her up the beach, and they crawled out on the pebbles and sat down, and wept until they could weep no more. For the houses and the trees were all altered, and all the faces which they saw were strange, and their joy was swallowed up in sorrow while they thought of their youth and all their labor and the gallant comrades they had lost. And the people crowded round them and asked, Who are you that sit weeping here? We are the sons of your princes, who sailed out many years ago. We went to fetch the golden fleece, and we have brought it and grief therewith. Give us news of our fathers and our mothers, if any of them be left alive on earth. Then there was shouting and laughing and weeping, and all the kings came to the shore, and they led away the heroes to their homes and bewailed the valiant dead. Then Jason went up with Medea to the palace of his uncle Pelias, and when he came in, Pelias sat by the hearth, crippled and blind with age, while opposite to him sat Eson, Jason's father, crippled and blind likewise, and the two old men's heads shook together as they tried to warm themselves before the fire. And Jason fell down at his father's knees and wept and called him by his name, and the old man stretched his hands out and felt for him and said, Do not mock me, young hero. My son Jason is dead long ago at sea. I am your own son, Jason, whom you trusted to the centaur upon Pelion, and I have brought home the golden fleece and a princess of the sun's race for my bride. Now give me up the kingdom, Pelias, my uncle, and fulfill your promise as I have fulfilled mine. Then his father clung to him like a child and wept and would not let him go and cried, Now I shall not go down lonely to my grave. Promise me, son, never leave me until I die. 